Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. My name is Dave Thompson. I'm a camera operator, Steadicam operator based in New York. I love every second. I love getting up in the morning. I love walking to set and kind of figure out what we're going to do that day. I love the challenge of it. It's become part of who I am. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? What you find to be creative? I find it every day. Every time I put my eye on the on the eyepiece or pick up the Steadicam, it's beautiful to me. I love it. And I make a very good living. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis. Not joining me this time is your other host, Fred Keating. Fred is actually in Toronto working on a project, but I do have with me a member of the Monetizing Your Creativity team. His name is Zachary Polis. Hi there. Hey, thanks for joining us, Zach. And also joining us is Dave Thompson. Dave is a camera operator from New York. We are here at the Banff Center in wonderful Banff, Canada. We are at the Storytelling Summit, which is an event that's put on by the Alberta Media Production Industries Association and the Banff Center. In fact, who we have with us now is, as I mentioned, Dave Thompson, camera operator. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Dave, you have some very impressive credits. You've worked on Joy, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, Part 1 and 2, American Hustle. Tell us about the work that you do. Primarily, I'm known to be a steady cam operator, but I'm also a camera operator, which is you know part of always just being an operator, I guess. And um, I mostly do feature film work. I will do TV. I end up doing a lot of pilots. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, can you tell us the difference between a camera operator, a cinematographer, and a DOP, otherwise known as a director of photography? Well, the director of photography and cinematographer are pretty much the same classification, at least in the way we do it in the in the States. They're really in charge of the overall design of the lighting and just keeping really uh, the consistency of the story and the and the the camera movement and and the the lighting all in place, you know, from start to finish. So it carries. It's it's a consistent flow. Um, is the main goals of the the cinematographer or director of photography, and they manage you know the grip, electric, camera department as well. So they they sort of oversee the whole process without having to really direct. Is it your job then to kind of execute their vision? Yes, I work very closely with the DP and the um, the director. More so lately on a lot of jobs, I'll I'll sort of we, we've sort of gone more to the English system with high def, you know, with the advent of the Alexa and where a lot of times the DPs will will be in the tents and then it leaves us out on the on the feet or the field or the uh, wherever we're shooting uh, the set and it's more of working with the director and sort of just going through the camera move or, or what their their ideas are and, and sort of executing them. So I imagine with each feature, there's new camera operating equipment that you're dealing with, whether this month you're working with an Alexa or the next month you're working with RED and you might be working with a new dolly system or cranes. How do you get acquainted with these new tools? Is it before production begins? 
a lot of times we'll be able to see the equipment in our prep. So we usually like a director of photography for say, I'd say for like a 70 or to hundred day shoot, they probably get about eight weeks of prep with the directors. And then we get the assistant, well, the assistants will get maybe three weeks to two weeks of prep to test the lenses, the cameras, to make sure everything's good to go. And then I'll come in maybe three to four days before we actually start shooting. So if there's any kind of new equipment or new tech that we're sort of trying to get up and running, we can troubleshoot it and uh, find solutions or try and create new equipment to use. Now, you worked on the Hunger Games. You worked on several of them, not all of them, but uh, they were excellent pieces of work. Tell me what were some of the challenges that you experienced? I think some of the challenges I went through on, on the Hunger Game movies was sort of bringing that vision that they had to life and to, to the screen. You, we switched it up. Uh, they switched it up between the first one, The Hunger Games and Catching Fire. New DP. Um, so they wanted to go in a, a different visual direction. Uh, we we kind of opened that world up that they lived in. And by doing that, for the second one, we shot about a third of the film in IMAX. That was quite a challenge. Hand-holding IMAX cameras in the jungles of Hawaii. It was... Uh, had kind of never really been done before. Um, the, and to go back to your question about seeing new tech, we started in Atlanta and then went to Hawaii. But the assistants for one weekend before we started shooting went to Toronto to prep or look at because they had never seen the IMAX cameras. And then that was it until we got to Hawaii and we had four or five IMAX bodies show up. And within my assistant at, on that, on Catching Fire, Gregor Tavener, I remember being in the camera truck or in the IMAX camera truck with him. And, you know, we're talking to the IMAX technician and we're like, well, we have to make these things handheld. How are we going to do that? And Gregor, you know, in the IMAX tech was like, that's, that's impossible. No one handholds these things. And I said, well, we're going to have to do it. So we have to figure this out. And Gregor had a couple cases of bits and pieces. And we, we sort of put something together that, that would work for, you know, that week. And then we, we ordered parts and found parts from Panavision, sent us some bits and pieces, and we, we made a sort of a handheld system for it. Is that kind of a recurring theme in the work that you do is that you really need to innovate, you really need to find a way because you see challenges on this motion picture that you didn't see in the last one that nobody's ever seen before. And you just have to find a way to make it work because the stakes are so high. That is the job of working underneath a director of photography, I think, is to bring their sort of any challenges or the way that they want to shoot a scene. Because every piece of gear is completely modified for our, for our use, for whatever the situation could be. You don't just pull it off the shelf and shoot with it. It's this gets tweaked, that gets tweaked. Oh, you know what would be great would be we need a handle over here, so we got to figure out how to put one on there and. We come up with a system. We A lot of it's done on the truck or in the field and with bits and pieces left over from other jobs and stuff from hardware stores and all over the place. You know, the grips will give us pieces of gear to work with. So what kind of person is really successful at the sort of work that you do? What are the attributes of success, so to speak? I think you have to be ambitious. You have to be passionate about what you want out of the job. You need to have a little bit of technical savvy. A lot of that can be learned in the moment or on the job. You have to be very humble because you will fail. But that's a good thing because I think that really teaches you to to go after it even more and to push yourself. And, and you have to be able to really work well with others and not just others, like a lot of other people. I mean, you're talking about crews of 
three, four hundred, you know, grip, electricians, props, wardrobe. Everybody has questions, and you have to be able to to answer them very clearly and concisely, and you know, be confident in those decisions. And you know, it's a it's a learned it's a learned trait. Dave, I think one question that our listeners would like to hear answered is, how do you get the work? Is it because you get on the team, you impress people, and they ask you back next time? We work with certain crews and certain directors of photography or even directors. I will get calls from seeing if I'm available for their next job. And then they trust us to put together a really good team. And, you know, that means a good focus puller, a good second assistant, good loaders. And they, they just, the people that I work with, they're just really nice people. They trust you to do your job and to do it to the best of your ability. And they'll, they know that we're going to get the shot or whatever they have imagined that we're going to do it for them. So is it that people hire who they trust? A lot of times it's it's who you trust and it's who, who you can work well with. Everybody can't get along all the time and personalities clash and, and you know, and it's different for each job too. Each job has its own challenges and, and rewards and, and you, you try and find the best people for those those challenges. On a typical day on set, how often do you find yourself reacting to, say, a mapped out storyboard versus responding to actors on set? How much of it is improv from the actors? It depends on what the movie is. So there's certain movies that we very specifically have storyboards and we shoot those storyboards and nothing else. There's other movies, like I can say, like a David O. Russell movie. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, like Silver Linings or Joy or even American Hustle. He's all about the moment. And as an operator, you're responding to what the actors give you. Sometimes they give it to you, sometimes they don't. And you have to think on the fly. And others, not so much, you know, sometimes it's just specifically what the scene is. Let's back up to the start of your career, Dave. How did you get into this? And what recommendations would you have for people of the next generation coming up who might want to get into the creative industries and whatever their passion happens to be? Well, I started my career as a film loader, where you worked as a loader, you moved up to a second assistant, became a focus puller, became an operator. We went through that um, that ladder or that sort of hierarchy. And the beauty in that system was that we each learned the next job. So when you actually became too good of a loader, it was time for you to become a second assistant. And then when you became too good of a second assistant, you moved up. And you had that sort of what was called the studio system for us. And that's how we sort of moved up and I came through that system. And again, for the benefit of our younger listeners, tell us about how the union system works. Um, it's changed over the years. I mean, to, to work in the States on the bigger productions, yes, you have to be a member of Local 600, which is the Cinematographers Union, which covers cinematographers, camera assistants, DITs, other benefits. I mean, you know, you have the protection of the union, which I think is uh, really powerful and, and much needed. And where did you learn your craft? I got really lucky. I fell in with a group that that hired me as a as a camera PA and then taught me how to be a loader and then I took the union test in New York and got in as a assistant in New York and uh, I just sort of navigated through and just by paying attention, asking a lot of questions and uh, being very persistent. Yeah, I just kind of kept moving up and moving up and moving up and now I'm stuck in the greatest job there is. 
Can you tell us why you chose to focus on Steadicam operating for a large part of your filmography? When I was a loader and a second assistant, I worked on a film called Washington Square, and our Steadicam operator was a was a fellow named Jimmy McConkey. I was probably 22 when I was working with Jimmy, and I would ask Jimmy pretty much the same questions every day. I would just rephrase them in a different way. And he had patience, and he, maybe not in that moment, but he would circle back sometime in the day and come and talk to me. And I just had so many questions about what he was doing. I was just totally enchanted by the Steadicam. He was always very kind and very generous. You know, I carried that with me when people ask me questions. When, when young PAs or very young assistants will come up and say, hey, you know, what does this do or how does this do or how did you get into the business? And I will find that time in the day. It may not be in that moment, but I'll, I, I will find the time in the day to, to go back and talk to them about it. And, and I will give them my phone number or my email and they can, they can get a hold of me and I'll, I'll, I will answer the questions. It may take a while, but I'll get there. And, you know, I, I took that from Jimmy because he, he took the time. And there's another Jimmy, and he probably does not remember this, and I haven't seen him in about 20 years, but Jimmy Muro was working on a movie called True Lies in, in D.C., and Jimmy did the same thing. I had a bunch of questions. I was just mesmerized by watching him operate the Steadicam. It was the most incredible, beautiful dance I'd ever seen somebody do. The way he did it was just it was absolutely mesmerizing and you know it was the same thing I, I just asked him questions after questions after questions and he would let me put it on and 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 you know at lunch and I would run around in the parking lot you know behind the truck and you know, he, he had the patience he, and he was fine you know he, he totally got it because everybody has to start somewhere great thoughts from Dave the mentor and your mentors as well Dave speaking of mentorship there are people who say that you really can't earn a living in the creative industries, that all artists are starving artists. As some mentorship advice to our listeners, what would you have to say to that? Because I'm guessing you would beg to differ. I would beg to differ. I think what you what you find to be creative, I find it every day. Every time I put my eye on the on the eyepiece or pick up the Steadicam, it's, it's beautiful to me. I love it. And I make a very good living. You know, my family is very happy and, you know, we live very well and if you can find that in any art you just have to be able to express yourself and i think being a camera operator i get to do that every single day i'm on set dave because of the the way things change in this industry it seems like you really need to have a passion for learning tell us some stories about how you've gone kind of above and beyond the call of duty to learn new things or to get better at your craft i think you know just learning the craft and and, and being passionate about what you do is it, it, it takes a dedication. And I would go to, when I was an assistant, and I didn't know how to load a Panavision mag, I would go to the rental house and just went in every day and just learn those cameras inside and out until I was completely comfortable in doing it. You know, I remember when I was a loader, not knowing how certain mags worked. So I would do it in the light. You know, I'd take a dummy roll of film, load the mag, load the mag, load the mag put a blindfold on, load the mag, load the mag, load the mag, mess up, figure out where I messed up, start loading the mag, put the blindfold back on. And I did that over and over and over again until it became second nature, until it was embedded basically in who I was. Like I could do that. And the same dedication carried on to when I became an operator. Practice, practice, practice. And Steadicam as well. 
I, you know, I just learned till it became part of who I am. Now, we're really geeking out on some technical details here, and I'm loving every second of it. There's really a bigger principle here at play, regardless of what discipline you're involved in, right? Yes, I think it's I think it's ingrained in you. I think it's a lot of people have it, and I think that can come out of you if it's nurtured. And if you're in the right group of people, they'll draw that out of you. They'll draw the best out of you. And I think that's what the people that taught me how to be assistant and taught me how to be an operator. I think they brought that out of me. I think you you take on the skills and, and the learned experiences that all these other people that you've worked with have had. That's a really powerful thing. So I guess the moral of the story is regardless of what your discipline is, whether you're a camera operator, an actor, or a musician, whatever, you really need to be obsessed with learning your craft and becoming better and better and picking up whatever you can from your mentors. I think so. I think there's there is a bit of obsessiveness about it. I think there's just there's also a wanting to do better. I guess that basically is obsessiveness. <laughs> now we've kind of touched upon this, but I want to get into a little bit more. In your case, physical fitness is a really important thing, and I know that there's a story that you wanted to talk about with respect to Mockingjay. Sure. Well, all of those films, Catching Fire, Mockingjay, Part One and Two, were very, very physical films. I would say 98% of them was handheld or Steadicam, primarily handheld, and that takes a very big physical toll on the body. With Catching Fire, we did a lot of IMAX handheld. I knew the load was going to be tremendous. So I prepped pretty thoroughly with a trainer just to get myself beyond physically ready. So this is really an industry where for a lot of people, that kind of fitness is an important thing. In your case, as a camera operator, sometimes as a steady cam operator, but really the, the stunt people, the actors, the sound people, the people on the crew are doing some pretty heroic things a lot of the time. I guess this may sound a little strange, but I think we're sort of the athletes behind the star athletes. We're like the backup team that supports them. And, and, you know, when we go down, it's, that's it. It's a very physical job and, and you have to, you have to take care of yourself. You have to eat correctly. You have to proper fitness. Yeah. It's, it's demanding, you know, long hours, night shooting. It, it can take a toll. What's it like steady camming a rock concert or pop concert where you have so much visual stimuli from the lights, from the singer, backup dancers, the audience who's really feeling the experience? And how do you make those decisions on the fly of where am I going to focus my attention with the camera? That's actually a very good question because I was just thinking about this and talking to somebody the other day. I did the... Madison Square Garden's New York part of the Justin Bieber 3D concert film. It was actually a very, very difficult job um, in terms of, we shot it in 3D. So the rig itself, my Steadicam was over 75 pounds. I could barely hold it up in front of a completely packed Madison Square Gardens, which is an incredible experience. You could actually feel the energy from the audience, which I'd never felt that before. I'd never been in front of that many people. And on stage is even more incredible because, I mean, they're not looking at me, but they're looking to the guy that's like three feet to the left or right of me. But still, you feel that. You feel that energy and you feel those eyes. It was quite a technical challenge as well because that was the first 3d job i had done and with that rig being so heavy the guy calling the show for us the the stage manager i guess was really calling it i remember i was doing this these 360s around him 
And he's telling me, you know, he's giving my cue. Okay, so you have to get off the stage in like five, four, and he's counting it down. And because that rig weighed so much, I actually had to do like three or four extra rotations to start slowing down. And he's, I, he was just screaming in my ear to get off the stage because, you know, they, they needed to get the crane in there and, like, they needed to get the other shots. But it took took a while to wind down <laughs> to get off uh, the stage. But it, it was it was an amazing experience. It was totally – my body was totally trashed for, like, a week afterwards because <laughs> it, uh, it was – that camera rig was so heavy. Well, Dave, it sounds like you've never worked a day in your life because you love what you do so much, it's not work. That's a great way to put it. I do. I love it. I love every second. I love getting up in the morning. I love pulling into the parking lot and walking to set and, and figuring out what we're going to do that day. I love the challenge of it. It's become part of who I am. Wonderful thoughts. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity. 